this week on the Back Table Podcast. When you have that connectedness and they trust, gosh, a lot happens not because of me as one person, because you can ignite a fire and and you can get people engaged and the collective effects of talent or the multiplier effect. It's just pretty awesome. And it just, you can achieve what, what your collective goals are through that way. everybody. Welcome to the Backtable ENT podcast. We are a podcast that focuses on all things otolaryngology, and we got a really great show for you today. Thanks for stopping by. Buying a home like the one I grew up in has been my dream. We had this great yard where my brother and I would run under the sprinklers. We had a big kitchen table where I told my parents I got into med school. Now I'm a member of Laurel Road for Doctors, where I got a great rate on a physician mortgage and was eligible for no money down and no PMI, so I can make new memories in my own home. Laurel Road for Doctors. Banking insights and benefits uniquely designed for doctors. See laurelroad.com slash doctorhome for full terms and conditions. Laurel Road is a brand of KeyBank NA and Equal Housing Lender. NMLS 399797. My name is Ashley Agan, and I'm a general ENT in Dallas, Texas. And my name is Gopi Shaw. I'm a pediatric ENT here in Dallas, Texas as well. How are you doing this morning, Ash? I am so good. It's a sunny day in Dallas, and I'm getting to do a podcast with you. <laughs> we got a great guest. I, I couldn't know. ask for more. Couldn't be happier. Life, life couldn't be better. Life is good. <laughs> All right. Well, we have Dr. Julie Wei, an internationally recognized award-winning pediatric otolaryngologist. Dr. Wei was the Surgeon-in-Chief and Division Chief of Pediatric Otolaryngology at Nemours Children's Hospital, Orlando, and Professor of Otolaryngology Head Neck Surgery, as well as Chair of Otolaryngology Education at the University of Central Florida College of Medicine in Orlando. She's a member of the ENT Today Editorial Advisory Board and is a creator of online courses for parents and an author of two books, A Healthier Way, W-E-I, and co-author of Acid Reflux in Children. She's an accomplished speaker, distinguished researcher, and a loving mother. And we're so happy that she's here today. We are honored. She's here to talk to us today about how mentorship contributes to wellness. Welcome to the show, Julie. Oh, it's my absolute pleasure to join you guys. <laughs> Gopi and Ashley, thanks so much for having me. You were very kind in your introduction. I was thinking, wow, that woman sounds cool. I like to meet her. <laughs> I like looking at the mirror, Julie, because you are. Oh, you're so kind. I think it was the first time I heard you speak and knew uh, who you were. I was a third year resident, um, and this was in 2008, I think, or 2009. It was at my first COSM ASPO meeting, and it was, uh, you know, wellness and work-life balance and this is, you know, like mid to late kind of 2000, like 2008. And so just to have another woman, a pediatric otolaryngology and just addressing these topics that were so important, but not yet um, quite as, you know, discussed or thought about or talked about. And even to kind of think about those things felt like, oh, is that OK? So anyways, you've made an impression on me since then. And I'm just so happy you're here. Thank you. I'm delighted. <laughs> So we like to start the show um, just giving you an opportunity to tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, happy to. You know how interesting the way we're groomed academically. Usually when people say that, the first thing I think about is, okay, I'm just going to recite my resume and CV and all my educational <laughs> timeline, right? <laughs> and then I stop myself and said, okay, let, let's just start with, you know, what's my human story, right? That's really, um, mm -hmm. I think... Um, what I appreciate about everyone that I meet. Um, I'm a first-generation immigrant from Taipei, Taiwan. I came to the States at age 10, uh, sadly, right after my mother passed away from breast cancer. So that was very traumatic. My father had remarried, and we came here, and I didn't speak the language. It took me a couple years to catch up and learn English. So I reflect how I sometimes introduce myself in public speaking engagements, right, as the immigrant who won the lottery. <laughs> I mean, yes, some of it is luck and blessing, no question, just like other people. Um, hard work is a big part of that. So as far as the lottery part, I think my educational journey, you know, being uh, went to an Ivy League school, uh, went to New York Medical College, and then a chance, the opportunity to become an otolaryngologist. I'll be honest with you, as I reflect on the intersection between gender and bias and, you know, DEI in 2022, I look back now at I can't believe, you know, since yesterday, which match day, that I actually got a chance to train at Mayo Rochester. 
you know, we won't go into all that. That's multiple podcasts in itself. But <laughs> um, I did a two-year fellowship for pz and I spent the first decade um, in Kansas City at the University of Kansas. And then the past eight and a half years here in Orlando when I joined the Morris Children's Health System. So, but yep, my daughter just turned 16. I am lucky to still be married to the same gentleman who is a brilliant software engineer, patent attorney, uh, AV support. You know, he's out there fixing the second extra freezer right now. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm most blessed um, to be in a world full of uh, network of incredible people like yourselves, men, women, mentors, mentee. And this topic just got me so excited. So how did you um, how did you become interested in mentorship? What drew you to it? Yeah, that's a good question. You know, I. I really don't think there's a moment in time, right? And maybe you tell me if it's different for you, where you say to yourself, wow, I'm really interested. I'm going to become a mentor today. (laughs) I think all of us are learners, right? So we learn from many people throughout our journey, different points in our career and training, informal, informal roles. So I've always been aware, like I said, about this winning the lottery as if I don't deserve it, right? I do believe that because I keep thinking, hey, the opportunity to get to this point, to become this person against all the challenges and barriers, well, that's because there were several people along the way who intentionally gave me generously their time, supported me, helped me grow confidence, sponsorship, creating opportunities for me. And as I continue to feel, gosh, I am so blessed. I think it's with just a very conscious decision early on to make sure I do the same and pay it forward. And whether it's trainees, peers, colleagues, and frankly, anyone I encounter, I I think my husband and daughter will tell you that we can't go out to a restaurant where often I may write my name and email and number on the back of the receipt (laughs) for the server. If the young person says, hey, I'm thinking about going to apply to anything healthcare related or not, you know, I just, I don't know. It, It has become just part of my my thing. <laughs> that is so kind. <laughs> I love that. That's so kind. And that's probably, that's, it's probably part of why you've been so blessed is that you're just putting so much goodness out into the world that it just bounces right back. <laughs> well, it, it certainly, you know, fulfills my heart. And I know it does. Um, I think most people probably underappreciate how a single encounter, a brief conversation truly can impact somebody else's life far more than you'll ever realize. I think you hit the nail on the head. You said intentional. uh, When you give somebody intentionally your time and it's the time as well as being intentional about it. Tell me a little bit, you know, we we talk about mentorship and I feel like as we interview medical students for residency, you know, fellows, uh, residents for fellowship, people ask, you know, uh, do you guys have, you know, what's mentoring like in your program? I feel like it's a buzzword, right? Like you hear it. Tell me a little bit. And you mentioned whether it's, you know, individuals, groups. Let's go into some of that. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. And um, I'm grateful that I have taken some time to reflect what that means and how I incorporate it consistently, right, as a core value, as how I show up in every aspect of, of my life, right? So you're so right about it being a buzzword. I feel like it's that buzzword in academics, isn't it, right? And But frankly, it's a huge buzzword in industry, Right. Corporate people know about finding mentors in their careers. So I think traditionally, you know, and if you Google this, the definition of mentorship, it describes this dyad, you know, two people, this this relationship. One person is always more senior, right, more experienced, and then they help a more junior person. And I have to say, I'm really proud um, from about 10 years ago, I started challenging the definition by broadening it. So during 2009, 2010, I experienced very high degree of burnout. And I'm very grateful instead of causing self-harm, despite having my miracle pregnancy and all the things that are now research validating my life, you know, because I'm a little bit older. I had a chance uh, in my organization, in, in our medical campus, to resurrect this, this organization called Women in Medicine and Science. So I'm just going to be honest with you. There were 33 chairs and not a single one were women. And I said to myself, it can't be that in this zip code and geographic region, women weren't competent, right? right? So that experience helped me learn my desire and gifts. We inspire hundreds of female faculty across School of Medicine, School of Nursing, Ally Health. 
we basically just created our own infrastructure to recognize ourselves, to get a seat at the table, to interview senior leaders in the institution, to create annual professional development conferences for everyone. But all this helped me to coin a term and belief called co-mentoring. I don't think it should be just a senior and a junior, two people at a time. This three years when I served as the president and, and we had so much activity and interaction, it made me realize, you know, mentors learn from their mentees, right? So there's this unexpected gift. When you share your experience and insight to somebody else, that requires reflection. And that's when you grow. So everybody benefits from, like I said, building this network. I see it as a collective fabric of our personal and professional lives, right? And that's what allows every single person to thrive is when we feel connected, which is a critical component to experience well-being. Absolutely. When I think about mentoring, there's, you know, the informal mentoring that just kind of happens. You know, these people in my life that I kind of consider them mentors, but I never said, hey, will you be my mentor? Um, But then, you know, there's formal mentoring, like, you know, in residency programs, we try to, you know, connect residents and faculties to kind of be like, you know, have a mentoring session, meet with your mentor, that kind of thing. Can you kind of discuss, you know, the the ways that those different types of mentoring are, you know, the the benefits of, of the different types of mentoring that you can have in your life and kind of compare and contrast, I guess? Yeah, absolutely. So you brought up something. This is, isn't this interesting, right? Early on in our life and our educational career, I think mentorship is, there's, there's a natural hierarchy, right? You're the student, there's the professor. You're the medical student. These are the clinical faculty, right? You're a resident. These are your otolaryngology program director and faculty. You're a fellow, you know, <laughs> these are your faculty. I think where it becomes really interesting, right? And then during any of those times, you may have a research mentor. You know, so these are very concrete things we all know about. And then as you graduate from training, hey, now you've made it. You know, you're Dr. Shaw all by yourself. You're out there. And I can imagine it must be probably more challenging in private practice setting than it is in the, you know, many of us work in academic setting, right? So this is where I think all of a sudden, it's not just an infrastructure you show up to. I think, you know, the advice we hope to have for listeners, especially if they're younger in their journey, is to recognize, okay, so what does that look like? And how is that experience for me as a mentor to others? But the early, the younger you are, probably you're more in the mentee, right? So what does that look like? Well, I think um, so many ways. Outside of training and the academic hierarchy, one is the years of attending professional society meetings. You know, so excited we're going to be in person for COSM. There are people we haven't seen in two, three years. I think that's where that, like you mentioned, informal, organic, coffee, lunch, hey, you know, conversation, you know, a lot of things can happen in that way. And then I think also through the actual or the, the, the practice of medicine and surgery, right? So in clinical settings, shared interests there, uh, growth in building multidisciplinary programs. I mean, there, I, I find that it's in the in the medical system and how where we work and how we practice and where we teach, that's not as hard. I think when you start to, you know, grow into your adult life, have children, you know, struggle and, and work on investing in your marriage, communication, personal development, having awareness, mitigating risk of burnout. That's where it's less, maybe not as clear on who, who can be my mentor? Where do I find them? What do I do with this mentoring relationship? Does, does that make sense? What do you guys think of that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I think now being out in practice, it's a little bit um, more awkward to reach out and be like, hey, would you be my mentor? Can I, can I pick your brain? Can I ask you things? So we started a podcast so that we can do that. <laughs> <laughs> but you're right. I think... Um, at this point, so, you know, like you said, you're a couple of years, you're several years out, you have your practice, you've made professional mentors, whether uh, it's through your traditional roles and, you know, with the, as a, an attending to your residents versus 
you know, colleagues, uh, when you're building programs or having partnership, whether it's um, within your division or other specialties. But I think the other part is your life mentors, right? Um, <laughs> who are, who else is out there who's trying to, you know, juggle, right? We're always kind of juggling everything or whatever the right word is these days um, to, you know, make sure your kids are healthy, that, you know, you're talking to your spouse, that you're making the dental appointments on time for everybody. But, oh, yeah, I need to make sure I do that three peer-to-peer thing and make sure my notes are closed at the end of the clinic day, you know? And so it's those little things where when you have other people that um, are also going through it, that's where that network and that connection, that support system definitely builds and you feel like you're not alone. And that definitely contributes to wellness. I completely agree with you, Gopi. This is why I'm so grateful for the podcast. And this is you and Ashley's other baby on top of your babies, <laughs> right? I have to admit, I think women, we drive the conversation where we are creating permission and space to speak out loud what we've been living, but usually doesn't have a place in academia in our training. And that's the struggles. I have to admit, or I feel for our male colleagues, I think there's this expectation and unspoken culture for them to really not, you know, to, to, as if it's inappropriate. We're not going to talk about our struggles at home and in our personal life at work. That's absolutely not acceptable. And and frankly, I think, you know, I've been give, having the opportunity to give Grand Round and to say, look, we're not talking about work-life balance. That's just complete BS. The word balance has no role because it <laughs> is not you. possible. I feel so, the same. <laughs> yeah, industry has said, forget about it. So the Berkeley Haw School of Business, you know, this didn't come from Julie Way. You know, now the cool kids say work-life <laughs> integration. So for tr- because we show up every day to work carrying the same anxiety, worries, real-time issues with ourselves, Yes, we've learned to compartmentalize and prioritize, but that's just not how we exist as human beings. So back to what you should, said, Gopi, I, I think this is where my hope is, as I've spent a decade speaking on, being the first to say, yep, let's just share my vulnerabilities as a way to hopefully create permission, right? Let's just start there. And as we have these conversations, I think that significantly influences what mentorship looks like. It is no longer about, well, these are the, ta- the checklists, the task to get promoted to associate professor and professor. This is mentoring about, gosh, I would have experienced my life with less trauma, less pain, feeling more self-assured to experience self-love and self-compassion and confidence and, and just feeling better and feeling more healthy on all levels if we you know, have more of these conversations. So I hope, yeah, I did. If you, if we did this podcast 10 years ago, five years ago, I don't know that I would have been able to articulate it in this way. Yeah. I think um, what else is interesting is, you know, in terms of uh, mentorship and networking and getting to know people, how are they different, right? Yeah, that's a good one. You know how there's so many different ways you're a mentee or a mentor, right? We usually say, well, is it individual? Is it groups? And we, didn't, we don't get into the nitty gritty of logistics of that interaction, the size of the group. I mean, individuals are common, right? Oftentimes you see people say, hey, let's have coffee, you know, or you're in your academic hierarchy, the faculty meets with the division chief, the division chief meets with the chair, you know, that, that kind of stuff. So I've experienced that, you know, as the mentor or as a division chief, I'd have one-on-one times in, in office setting. What I really love, last few years, I started the walking meeting. Instead of sitting there, there's, you know, there's something called walk to connect. Uh, a few years ago, I was a keynote speaker at the Florida Recreation Parks Association. And um, the two other keynote, one is the founder of Blue Zone. The other one is a man that walked across America in 11 months. And wow. he founded something in Denver, Colorado called Walk to Connect. So I find that talk about, you know, health, connection, well-being, and mentoring all at once. I mean, <laughs> that, that was pretty cool. So we're going to incorporate it in our ASPO summer meeting, you know. The pandemic also taught all of us, in addition to telehealth, you know, mentoring, it could be a phone call, Zoom, text. And I got to tell you, I'm, I'm a big believer in the sending of cards with the stamp, you know, the old school, the tried and true way that I, 
I feel the sacred that's kind of lost, right? From a group perspective, because I had this gift of, of women in medicine and science organization and, and that experience in leadership, when I first came to Namors, I started, I tried to start one and it kind of failed. It just didn't have the support. People were busy. But then I facilitated for over a year, eight women or so across the system, Delaware, three places in Florida. We would just have a once a month call. And it's almost like a peer support group. We can call out, hey, you know, who, who's, what are you doing to take care of yourself? What are some of the challenges? What's going on? The ultimately for me now, I hope to use my opportunities, leadership efforts to constantly create a safe space constantly create a space where people can come together, get to know each other, um, and you connect them. And then you help connect them with shared interests. And so the last example that this is an absolute gift to me, this past year, I have had the opportunity to meet, I've never met these people. Somebody connects somebody to me and someone reaches out saying, you're the one that people said I should talk to. I'm struggling. And, and what a gift. I, I don't know the person. I, have, I listen generously to their situation. I first validate their struggle. I then try to maintain that relationship, having never met them physically, to support them. And in the months ensuing, just being able to know that they're at a better place, that has meant the world to me. Speaking to these, these small groups that you were talking about, is, do you feel like there's a sweet spot as far as size? Because I feel like we we do our um we have like a women in otolaryngology group you know at our program and we've gotten a lot of women in our program which is great but i feel like as it's gotten bigger it becomes a little bit more intimidating to share and talk about things that are you know more sensitive or vulnerable you know so i mean what are your thoughts on kind of like the the perfect you know small group size where people can kind of feel like sharing where they're not you know where it doesn't feel like you're on display for a big group yeah, you're, you're, um, that's a very insightful question. As I think about answering that, I realize my answer is not a number, right? Mm-hmm. This really goes to the core of, you know, number one, of, of being vulnerable. When, who, with who, in what setting. And not everyone's threshold is the same. So it's not a right or wrong, right? Mm-hmm. When we had um, last year, the organization asked me if I would speak after the anti, the significant anti-Asian women violence, the AAPI shooting in Atlanta. Yeah, organization was doing town halls to allow people to join and listen, but they wanted one person. Um, and I wrote an article about it, and and this was very sensitive to me. So yes, you're, it's kind of weird. You're on Zoom. There's 75 people on, and I can't fake it. I'm crying. So I think to answer your question, what I'm trying to say is so appropriate to think about that. For me, fundamentally, the more I know someone, I actually have a relationship, not an interaction, and I have trust, then I can absolutely be more vulnerable. So I think the question is depending on the sensitivity of the topic. You know, groups are great, right? I'm honestly kind of jealous. I think I saw a photo, whether it's from your program or others, as people were celebrating Women International Day. And for a second, I felt sorry for myself because I'm like, where's my group? I don't have a group. (laughs) (laughs) But I would say that the, the strength in numbers when you show up, that connectedness is important. But the more difficult, the more personal, that's when out within that group, surely there's subgroups. Yeah. One or three Mm -hmm. where you know, you feel probably you're able to just share more authentically. So I hope, I hope that helps. So, so mm-hmm. it just depends. Sure. And, and then sometimes, you know, um, I certainly hope to bring to light a lot of other struggles that we just don't talk about, right? So maybe if the natural way for that size or group to occur is based on the issue. If this particular issue experienced by you know, these five people, these seven people versus more global topics like equity and pay and academic center, you know, (laughs) Uh, then I hope, what do you guys think? Well, I think it it makes sense. And it, it goes back, I think, to what you said initially is that you've taken a lot of time to reflect on your core values and I think that um, with mentor, mentee, whatever group that you're connecting with, whether it's uh, women in Odo, 
in your department to um, the text chain that I get to be on with you, Julie, to uh, me and Ash being part of Back Table. I think that as long as, A, you have to kind of figure out what are your core values. And I think that's not a one-time thing. It's got to be like a constant in your mind as you think about your yourself. And then what other the other group that you're going to be connecting with or other individual organization, whatever it is, do those values align? And if so, just like when you're having to speak, you know, on such a sensitive topic um, that just, you know, had happened, everybody was there because there's a common core mutual value. And I think that's, that's the, that's probably, to me, that's probably one of the mo- most important things, but it, it takes time to f- figure out what, what your core value is. <laughs> yeah. You know? yeah. You know, I want to add um, a point that I have learned at, at, that I think is very valuable to point out. We think of mentorship then as this is an otolaryngology specific podcast, right? Mentor, mentee in otolaryngology. You know, I've been humbled that I think this past year, there are two instances where it was a advanced practitioner in a NICU and a respiratory therapist or two who are really struggling with intubations. In their role, they are often the one responsible in critical airway situation, right? But they were struggling. And hopefully it's because my credibility or what reputation or perception is Julie Way's willing to help. And plus she's an ENT, she's an airway person, right? I'm passionate about airway. Others would reach out on their behalf or they would reach out to me. And it was wonderful for me to then kind of put together and talk with them about multiple things we can do to strengthen a skill set. But the reason I care about doing that is what it does to somebody when you lose confidence and it's a competency and it's your job and it's a lot negative psychological impact, right? If you're struggling with it. And what I really am proud of myself in hindsight is then working with the person. They came in the OR. I literally watched. I asked. I showed. But one thing that we never talk about, you know, I had laser surgery. So I have monovision. I have to admit, I wish I never did that. And as I aged, I noticed when I'm in an urgent airway, I got to blink one eye or the other because they're two different distances. And it was just finally last year that I had glasses made so that they're task specific. So when I'm doing a tonsillectomy or intubating, I get to use both eyes again. And when I brought that up, it turned out that was also a key factor for one of the people it impacted, right? So my point is mentoring is not just, you know, you're a, you're a nurse, so you get your mentoring from fellow nurses. And, and I think you guys all know this, that you'd be surprised who, you're, who the mentoring effect on your daily clinic impacts your staff, fellow audiologists, speech therapists, you know, j- just could be anybody. I think that is so important that you mentioned that because there's so much tribalism and, you know, segmentation, particularly in academic medicine, because I think we, you know, we match into our specialty and then that's our tribe and we kind of, you know, we're with our people. And it's it's so important to to think about how, you know, we're all humans at the end of the day and we're all fallible and we all have we all go through stuff and uh, it's important to be there for each other. And, you know, Speaking to just kind of, you know, speaking in large groups and speaking with small groups, I've found that, you know, as I get more mature in my career, I feel more of a responsibility to speak up in these group settings with particularly other, you know, women residents, because that's that's who I was. And to, you know, talk about the difficult, you know, vulnerable topics, you know, divorce, fertility, burnout. These things that no, I never heard anyone talk about. You know, I never, there was never someone older and wiser than me to kind of say, yeah, this, this, you know, we go through this too. And so I've felt more of a, it's been heavy on my heart to kind of just be more open and honest with, um, with our trainees, uh, just more real um, so that they can feel comfortable talking to me if they, you know, need to or want to. Ashley, that that is, um, thank you for expressing that, right? So 
I'm 51. I'll be 52 in a, another month or so. I think about, you know, the incredible women we all know who were the pioneers in our specialty. There were so few of them and they have achieved just incredible hard-earned accolades, titles, professional success, national, international disability, uh, visibility, not disability. I'm, <laughs> I'm the one with the disability. But I have to tell you, you know, all those years when I was younger watching these people, of course, you, you go, well, you never heard if they had any struggles. I, I think there's a generational shift, isn't there? Right. And it's not mm -hmm. that they went around saying I didn't struggle. No, no, no. It's just that it's it's absent. You don't. That's not what you hear about. Right. Um, I think there's a shift and, and the pandemic only exacerbated and really, whether you want to or not, the humanity is just the vulnerability. It, it's just there. It, you can't even pretend it's not anymore. So thank you. The, your residents, trainee students, they're lucky, right? If they're working with you and Gopi, they're lucky because they didn't even have to ask for it. You've created this new shift in a way of being where they get to watch you be amazing surgeons, teachers, and also you may talk about your 10-week-old newborn and juggling and, and what you're going through. And, and I think that I've learned, hopefully, the positive patient feedback. You know, I do miss my clinical practice right now. It's because I really learned the power was not ever in a prescription or a surgery. The power and the gift is to be in that interaction, listening, and I always infuse stories about my own child, right? And mm -hmm. I told my daughter that, oh my gosh, I can hear myself. Thousands of office visits. I have a six-month-old. I have an eight-month-old. I have a two-year-old. I have a six-year-old. I have an eight-year-old, you know? <laughs> and, and that just, you know, I really think the patient families appreciated it, but more importantly, it always put me from a framework or not I'm the doctor, I'm the surgeon, do what I say. It's, I'm a mother. Let me first, wow, share my empathy for what you're going through. And this is not in the scientific literature, but my limited experience and what I learned about this issue or what worked for my daughter may not work for your child. Here's what I did, you know. So it's yeah. that human connectivity that I hope fulfilled their visit, not just in the traditional, you know, here's symptom Y and I need treatment X, see ya yeah. next because, you know, my template's 10 minutes, right? So and that's funny you say that, Julie, because I have like my spiel, right? Like the class, you know, the practice guidelines would recommend da da da. And then, uh, you know, especially for something like tongue tie, okay? <laughs> Just, you know. Another the, podcast. The, Where was the, I for that podcast? Yeah, the okay. consensus statements is this, but you know, then I'll, I'll just say, can I give you my, you know, non-professional, personal, professional opinion, you yeah. know, and that's what yeah. they want, you yes. know, and like, let me, let me just tell you, you know, this is what I think. And, you know, this is, you know, what I've seen, at least with my, you know, with my own child, but in some of my other patients that I've taken care of, but, and that's what the families, I think, appreciate. And I love that because it's relatable, right? It's a two-way relatable. And we had a nice conversation about how or now we're, you know, talking about how um, when we're in the same shoes, right? So I'm able to relate, especially with my female residents, because I've been in their shoes or a fellow. But I, let's talk about the importance of allies, maybe. So maybe the people that aren't in your shoes. Can we talk about uh, what that role is and how that fits in also with mentorship? Yes. So I can tell you a couple of things. Here's another form of co-mentoring, right? Uh, when the pandemic started, I was uh, really blessed. Mark Gerber and I started uh, where he hosts this once a month, Zoom. Mark was on our podcast on an Airway one about oh, okay. a year ago. He's Yeah, yeah. he's awesome. But anyway, he's sorry. awesome, right? So <laughs> no, we, we started the Zoom call and invited all the PZ and T chiefs to join. Not everyone joined. Now, in the beginning, no question, in 2020, every meeting was focused on AGP, safety for patients and faculty. But what was brilliant was you didn't have to invent stuff, right? You, you just, you know, people in New York, you know, my gosh, you know, they, they were giving us advice and guidance. And so that then, now that we, we got vaccination, all that, you know what? No one wants to let this monthly time go. <laughs> so it continues, right? So I think... I also think personally in my life, 
one of my greatest friends and mentor, even if they're not a parent, even if they're, you know, they, they can still be an incredible source of guidance, support, and wisdom, right? So can they relate to me of my issues or challenges being a mother? Maybe not. And then some of my closest allies, friends, supporters are male, right? So if I share my challenges believing that some of the hardships I've endured was biased because I'm female and characterizing me as emotional, you know, that doesn't mean that just because they're not female, they couldn't listen, hear the agony, simply bear witness, right? Bearing witness is the most important thing that humans can do to validate someone. Um, and, and also, again, just listen generously and, and be there and say, wow, that is really difficult what you're going through, but you're going to land on your feet. You're going to be okay because this is what's true about you, right? You remind somebody, you know, and I'm working on that, learning that for myself because this is a tough time for me, right? I've never been unemployed in 25 years. Uncertainty, everybody's like, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? Um, I don't know what I'm going to do when I grow up. But <laughs> trying to tell myself, hey, I'm a proven success in the past, <laughs> not based on what I've achieved or on that resume. My proven success is I care deeply about people. I come to life when I have a chance to bring people together and create change. So if I just stay close to that, I'm going to find a professional role where that can come alive in tenfold <laughs> acceleration. And then hopefully the, the, in, the job and the income will come after that. But it, it is tough. We, we are very much conditioned since childhood from our parents, right, uh, throughout our training on certain things that may not be true about ourselves. <laughs> Protect your most valuable asset the skill and ability to practice your medical specialty. One out of three individuals become disabled during their career. Be prepared by establishing a specialty-specific disability insurance policy from the experts at DI4MDs. They represent all the major disability insurance companies that provide individual policies for physicians. Special discounts are available for all physicians, residents, and the military. Whether you have no coverage or to compare and improve your current coverage, or take advantage of the new higher monthly benefit, contact them today at www.di4mds.com. Again, that's www.di4mds.com or call them at 888-934-4637. Again, that's 888-934-4637. To segue a little bit, what you're talking about as far as following that passion, you know, that that um, kind of pull for for service. I worked with a, a coach at one point who kind of helped me realize that that, you know, how to find what your what your driver is, what energizes you, you know, what you want to do. And it can be hard because in a lot of jobs, your rubric for success doesn't always match up with what your inner what that inner driver of success would be, right? So you've got, you know, your RVUs, your productivity, your number of articles, all these different things. And there's conflict there. You know, what what are your thoughts on that? Have you personally done any coaching or had a coach? Or, you know, it's kind of a big thing in the, I feel like the the business world, we've kind of started to get some exposure to it in medicine. But uh, what are your thoughts about that? Yeah, excellent topic. Excellent. So first of all, thank you for pointing out the lack of alignment. It took me a long time. And the, the final courage to walk away is my body's telling me I need to heal. But more importantly, when you, if you don't feel you're experiencing joy, not every day needs to be a 10. The answer's there. You just have to stop long enough to listen, right? Most of us are so overwhelmed, busy, drowning, I've perfected my life squeezing every second, and, and I live from this place of scarcity. So I just, before I answer your question about coaching and mentoring, I didn't know it, I would be here today, and what a gift. It was having this time and space and the gift of having safe money to be able to call time out. That is what allowed me to see what I was missing, because you can't see it when you're, when you're doing it. So... 
I was very uh, blessed. The organization approved. I did experience executive coaching for a year. And actually, here's a shameless plug for the ASPO summer meeting in Vail, July 15th through 20th. One of our two keynote speakers is an executive coach. So you hear about it for the corporate world, right? There's a lot that's been written. You know, coaching is very usually specific. Focus on your performance. Feedback is given on your performance. Your goal is to reach the specified individual goal or outcome. Whereas mentoring is a longer term relationship and it's really about the relationship and it's more holistic. Usually it's not just, you know, achieving X, Y, Z on your resume. It's personal, yes, career development. Um, And I think there's just a lot more intangibles. So I have experienced executive coaching and the benefits. I do find that in the medical world, you know, now it's reserved for leaders. So hopefully um, when we bring the speaker and we want to do some exercises, it'll help those who are not CMOs or in the C-suite understand when that might be applicable or helpful. And again, it would then be probably more focused on professional career near term, you know, goals. Does that, is that your experience, Ashley? And Gopi, if you had that? Yeah, we, um, I was able to, to do some coaching um, when I was getting my MBA. We, you know, had some courses that were kind of around coaching. And um, so we got to have a coach and then experience, you know, being a coach um, and kind of did some coach, you know, practicing coaching each other and things like that. And so I feel like um, even though traditionally mentorship and coaching are are different things, I think that there's a, a role for coaching sometimes as a mentor. You know, there's ways to kind of help people know what they already know, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the big things with coaching is you're not telling people, you know, you're not giving them advice. You're not telling them what to do. You're helping them kind of, you're asking the right questions to help them figure out what the next best step is. And so I, I feel like it was helpful to, to kind of learn about that. And I feel like maybe, you know, is a nice skill to have as a mentor. Absolutely. So my year of executive coaching was because I was serving this new role of surgeon in chief and kind of like, whoa. So it was really focused on my beat. How do I show up now? Not just ENT division chief, you are the surgeon in chief. What is your mindset, your narrative about yourself? Where do you see the opportunities where it is important that you show up with your values being effective in trying to get everybody together, right? So I learned a lot during those three years because it's one thing to lead fellow physicians. Now, when you have the anesthesiologist and my gosh, all different surgeons, you know, we surgeons are difficult and opinionated and set in our ways. <laughs> so trying to get everybody to row in the same direction requires some, I felt strongly that I, I need that reinforcement or self-discovery, like you mentioned, in how to have a presence in a way that further augmented my communication skill, my way of approaching listening understanding it before I can solve, right? I think surgeons are trying to solve very mm-hmm. quickly <laughs> yeah. before everybody else um, has, has gotten there. Um, then, and as far as, what was I thinking? Yeah, co- coaching other people. You know, that, that word sounds scary to me. Well, I'm not certified to do it. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're right. I think, okay, uh, next week. Uh, I actually invested in myself uh, as part of my master's of medical management program. I got exposed to someone who's an executive coach. So I'm going to invest in myself in a an, another round of career coaching. This time, of course, I did the Hogan assessment, right? You do these assessments. And then I had a five-page questions I had to answer about myself. What I do know and disclose is I kind of have this professional ADHD, if you will. Frankly, I am... You know, the, the McEwen, the guy that wrote Essentialism, I am, I am like the worst pupil. I like so many things. I was afraid to not be good at everything. I did everything. No wonder I burned out. So this go around, we're hoping to line up what I say are my core values in life. My goal to create a paradigm shift for how we care for children's health in the U.S. and around the world and how I can bring that together with some of my other skill sets so it's not spewing all over the place, but it's aligned and, and hopefully can achieve scale. So, so yes, believe in coaching, believe in mentoring. Yeah. <laughs> believe in getting help from others. 
So as a leader, we've talked about how you have, you may be coached as well, and it seems, and you may be coaching others. Um, and with coaching and mentoring, it's, it sounds like the coaching is more goal-oriented, uh, specific things to accomplish career-wise, but mentorship is a little bit more longitudinal relation uh, building. Can you tell me a little bit about mentorship in the position of leadership? Yeah, absolutely. I can't imagine someone being a, a leader or effective leader or influential leader who, for whom mentorship is not a core value and how they show up, right? So if you're not committed to serving as a mentor deeply and broadly, you know, that I just fail to see how that could really serve and, and create the change you want as a leader, right? So I think really great leaders that I observe professionally, they tend to have mentorship in their relationship with others and they show up that way, whether it's a clinical role in Unit X in the hospital, you know, chair of this department or someone over cross-functional teams. So, you know, and I also believe that as physicians and surgeons, we may forget we are mentors for patients and families, right? So, I can tell you a number of times, just think about when a mom um, is sitting there, she proudly declares her teenage daughter sitting in the exam chair. Well, she's going to grow up and be a nurse, or she's going to grow up and be a doctor, or she's going to go into some role in healthcare, right? And they're saying it in a way they're so proud. They're trying to tell you that my kid's going to grow up and sort of be like you, mm -hmm. you know? So, so that, that is where I think that we may not be as aware of the mentoring and the leadership you exhibit already, right? I used to think very early in my career, right? Leaders are titles. You know, leaders are, you know, have many titles. Um, and then I'm so proud when I realized for myself, leadership is action driven. Okay. I am so proud of my ability to influence even when I don't have a title because leaders are people that other people want to follow. They follow because they trust you, because they know fundamentally whatever decision you make, you have their best interest at heart. They know that you don't, you know, you just, I don't even know how to describe that. And I think that's just profound in what you can do every single day. Is that, so you had an article in ENT today and you talk about relational leadership. Is that kind of what mentoring and leadership is, or can you go into a little bit more about that concept? Yeah, <laughs> thanks for plugging the column that I'm so <laughs> grateful I can write on a variety of topics, right? <laughs> I'm grateful however I became this way through pain and trauma and, and whatever has occurred. I just observe myself to value people above all things, and I focus on how to express authentic care for other people without necessarily expecting something in return. And that's I try at my best, then it's every interaction, right? So specifically in the last eight and a half years, as you share my roles, you know, whether it's division chief, surgeon in chief, I chaired a health and wellness committee that I created, director of GME Wellbeing Initiative for our new pediatric residency, my honor of being having served as CENTAC president and now ASPO presidency coming up. I think about how every one of these positions really what a gift and honor. They provide an opportunity, but it's a huge responsibility. How do you serve, right, in the best way? And you want to create these positive changes, including culture change, which is not easy. So relational relationship style leadership is, is me. As I already mentioned, I think when you have that connectedness and they trust, gosh, a lot happens not because of me as one person, because you can ignite a fire and, and you can get people engaged and the collective effects of talents or the multiplier effect. It's just pretty awesome. And it just, you can, you can achieve what, what your collective goals are through that way. So I have really come in the last few years to appreciate that about myself and, and my joy and privilege when I show up at the workplace with my colleagues. I have a partner who said it best. Compliance is different than engagement. I think a lot of organizations I would venture or leaders in the, the roles that we're talking about, maybe sometimes they get confused, right? In an employee model, you can get compliance. Yeah, 
But, you know, we keep adding to what's needed in our compliance bucket. But engagement is not going to be there if somebody does not feel valued, seen, heard. Then, and I don't see how that's that's helpful to retain talent, to make people bring their best. I mean, why would they? Because if I bring my best and I don't seem, you don't seem to really see and appreciate that. Sooner or later, I'm going to stop bringing my best, and I'll find someplace else that can mm-hmm. see me for who I am and what I can bring. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I can't wait to see what you do next. I'll, I'll follow you. <laughs> what, what are you paying for nanny? Because, you know, I, I'm pretty good with kids. <laughs> well, tell me a little bit about you guys. You know, what has there been examples or a couple mentorship relationships that have really profoundly, you know, changed your perspective, outlook, or your own professional and personal journeys? And were they structured or it just happened? And Yeah. So I guess for me, my division chief is Ron Mitchell, and he's been an amazing mentor. Um, I was the fellow, and I, this is my ninth year here. And kind of what I, what I loved about, uh, what I love about his mentorship is that he was able to see my strengths more than I could and could see, like, help me figure out, align my strengths and put me in that position to set me up for success and be doing things that I didn't think would be possible, which, you know, whether it came to fellowship and, you know, education or my science practice and whatnot. And, and he's very relatable. You know, you, if anybody, of course, so many people know Dr. Mitchell, but, you know, he's going to have lots of stories and you're going to share your stories and he's going to, you know, give you his opinions. You're going to give him his, your opinions. And it's, it's, a, it's a back and forth for sure. It's, there's engagement because He's interest. He's generally interested in seeing you continue to grow using your strengths, not focusing on oh, but you need to work on this. Oh, but you need to work on this type of thing. And then um, another person that's been very sort of has what I also realized just kind of intentionally included me is Romaine Johnson. So Romaine Johnson was my program director, my fellowship director, and my one of my partners and. On whether, you know, his, he, he, he loves data and research and he's just so smart. And I've been able to just see him grow as I don't, you know, just in the last five, seven years that I've, you know, you, you can also, you, as a sort of junior to him, I've watched his growth and journey. And he's just kind of included me on so many different projects. Um, and that sort of intentional, like, come on. We're, we're going to do this now. Nope, you're going to do this. I want you to help me with this. And it, and it's in a, um, not a way in which I'm like, n- nothing like he's just giving me stuff to do, but it's like this, just being part of it, being part of the growth and being part of uh, program building or whatever it is. There's like a greater purpose to include me to be a part of. And, and those two, uh, definitely in terms of my growth and impact have been really, I'm very thankful for. I hope. They either listen to the podcast or I guess you have two thank you cards to write today to make their day. That is so gracious the way you acknowledge and articulate it. Thanks for sharing that, Gopi. Yeah, Ashley. I would say my experience with mentorship has been more informal with colleagues and faculty through residency and just developing relationships where you're comfortable enough to kind of talk about, well, why did you pick this job and why, why do you do it this way? And I, I can't say that there's, you know, one particular person because I feel like my practice is kind of, you know, my career, I guess, is kind of a patchwork of like watching different people do it different ways and trying to take, you know, this and that. And I do feel very fortunate that a lot of things have, I don't want to say fallen in my lap, but have just kind of been presented to me. Opportunities have been presented to me, you know, to be able to take on leadership positions that have enriched my practice. And, you know, I'm, I'm kind of like you where I like to do a lot of things, you know, other than just, you know, I, I love seeing patients and take care of patients, but I also like to dabble in other things, you know, medical student, clerkship director. And, you know, we opened a, a satellite clinic that I was in charge of. And so all of these things are, you know, energizing things that I enjoy, you know, kind of having that extra in my life. And, and so those opportunities were presented from the faculty and and colleagues in my life that recognize that maybe I had what it takes to do those things. And, um, you know, and I think working with them with a coach kind of helped me 
see where my strengths were um, because there was definitely a point where I got a little overwhelmed and was like, oh, like everyone's just dumping all these tasks on me, you know, like it's just too much and I'm saying yes to everything and I'm overwhelmed and really being able to take a step back and look at everything and say, like, okay, what brings me joy? It's, it's kind of like Marie, Marie Kondo, my, my career life. <laughs> Does this bring me joy or not? And kind of being able to say no to things that are extra and yes to things that are enriching and fulfilling. And um, that's been super helpful from a, from a well-being, wellness standpoint. Yeah, thanks for sharing. So as I listen to you, wow, there's so much to unpack in just what you said, right? <laughs> I think... And particularly for women, we tend to be more self-deprecating, right? So you're right. We, we want somebody else needs to look at us and tell us our strength because we're just, we're not sure we have any at all. I mean, that's like the inner <laughs> voice, right? Um, I think that instead of hearing you use the words, maybe, you know, I'm here to tell you, Ashley, first of all, I'm mad at Gopi. I don't know why we're just meeting now. That's nonsense. <laughs> Two, Gopi, we need to add, add her to our group text, uh-huh, right? For sure. Um, I would say that, huh, what I heard is here's somebody, and I need to call out, you weren't dabbling. By the way, we need to be very clear. You are taking care of patients, and you are good at running an awesome clerkship and building a satellite clinic. No, no, those aren't dabbling. That's what builders, growers, and leaders do. So let us always commit to having a very accurate narrative about ourselves, okay? Because we're mm-hmm. so afraid that if we validate that, we're arrogant. You right. know, that's one of the problems. So it's like, oh, I got lucky. Oh, you know, yes, <laughs> it's, it is nice that uh, opportunities were afforded to you. But I bet um, you there are times when you created an opportunity or went for it. And the one comment I want for the listeners as I listen to you, this is my entire life, saying yes to everything and then burning out, you know, and ultimately Whose fault is it? Oh, it's, it's my own fault because you, you just don't know how to say no. Don't you hate that, right? You hear that. You're like, stop saying that to me. If I could, I would have. Okay. I think the one thing as we talk about mentorship and coaching and finding ourselves on this journey, I've made a distinction on saying, I used to think I can't say no because I'm saying no to people. And I just told you my core value is people. And how can I deny people? Ah, I've gotten slightly better, right? It's a work in progress. Slightly better in separating tasks. I'm asked to write this chapter. I'm asked to do activity X. It's less emotional for me. You know, I don't ever want to say no to Gopi, okay, when she asked me to do something. But I need to think about the task that is being asked of me, which takes time. And it comes at a price for your well-being, your self-care, your marriage, or, you know, being available as a mom, what have you. So once I, I think you, you figure out how to say no to task, and if there are tasks you don't want to do, trust me, the moment you say no, you're so relieved. And it comes with so much practice. I am horrible at it. Now, at this point in my career, as I've just poured my heart out about my passion about mentorship and human connectedness, if somebody is in need and they ask me, I'm not going to say no to that. I don't say no to people fundamentally. When they're vulnerable, they're at risk and they need my help. Same the way we approach patient care, right? But let me tell you, all this other stuff that my entire academic career or whatever, you know, career as an otolaryngologist, you know, is, is just this construct, right? That, man, you got to have all those things. You got to be on all these committees. You got to get up there. You got to be on the, you know, it's not enough just to, to be a member. You got to be the president. And it was like, Wow, the permission to go, hey, you know, it turns out, nah, maybe that's not for me. There are going to be people who, who absolutely resonate and, ha- you know, uh, I think a lot of people can do these things, but it is so okay to choose not to. And I hope that fundamentally my, this is not where I ever planned, but i am come through the grieving phase. It was very hard, you know, waking up at night, panicking, what am I going to do the rest of my life? I'm nobody now. I I don't have a title. People are asking me, hey, for the AO submission, what do I put for your affiliation? <laughs> like, uh, Julie Way, MD. Ooh, that's <laughs> like, like I'm so naked. I've, I'm nobody, you know? And now I'm finally beginning to be at a better place where like, I am somebody. It's okay that I'm not division chief and I'm not this chief and I'm not that person. That I'm somebody really awesome and special. 
that I'm going to take care of myself so I'm never scarce while trying to save the world when I wasn't taking care of me. It's just, it's ludicrous and I couldn't see it and other people can see it and it really hurts the people that love you, you know? So I'm just so lucky, so lucky. And thank you for this chance to say that to your listeners and let them hopefully spend, you know, time really appreciating who they are and the miracle of being here. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm so glad you brought that up because I think that we forget that one of the most healthiest things that we can have are boundaries. And we, my healthiest relationship are with, you know, my parents, my, my, my husband, my brother, my kids, because I know how to say no. Like I know when to say no, right? Like those are, you, you know how to kind of say no. And it's those same, and I, I, I think that those boundaries are important in the mentor-mentee relationship. And I love separating task from person because just because you can't, you know, write the chapter, whatever it is, you know, doesn't mean that you're saying no to the person on the other side. And those two things aren't the same. Um, and it's something that until you pointed that out, that the guilt is towards the person, not because of the the task. If there's a guilt to the task, it's your guilt on yourself because you feel like you should be doing something. But yes. So, but yeah, I'm, I'm so glad you brought that up. Yeah. And um, the most recent, uh, I'm a slow reader, but, you know, in our group text, we talked about the book Untamed by Glennon oh, Doyle. Ashley Agan introduced me to that uh, book. Huh? Yeah. Right. That's so, why, that's the only reason I could reference. I was like, I was like, I have to credit my, my partner in crime here. <laughs> yes. Yes. And Ashley, when I, Gopi says to me, you're a cheetah. That's how I know I've made it in yeah. this world. Um, for those who haven't I said read the you book, are a goddamn cheetah. Oh, girl. Okay. I didn't know what kind of podcast this was. But you know, that one phrase that of all, oh my God, every chapter resonated with me. But the one single phrase that I just keep repeating to my now 16-year-old daughter, you know, may you disappoint everyone else before you ever disappoint yourself again. And, and that's something that it's going to take a long time to undo the way we're conditioned, you know. So you mentioned boundaries. I'm so glad you did. One of my anger and the desire to be a voice for what's happening to physicians, right? The burnout from a system level, unspeakable evil that needs to come out because I don't think society understands it. And I think we're just so used to it. We don't even speak up. It is so about boundaries and the fact that we can have them. You can say no to your husband and your your children. You can't say no when rules are created, things are done, when access of you is given to the universe 24-7 in your epic inbox and every which way. Does that make sense? That's not okay. So I can tell you as part of my master's program, I'm working with my professor right now, and I'm going to say it out loud to the universe so it comes true. I am, I am going to write an op-ed and it is going to come out and it is going to talk about how we're hurting people and that is not okay. And we're going to reclaim ourselves and uh, have some boundaries. Yeah. So well, I feel like we are so lucky to have you with us today. I think this has been a phenomenal conversation. Um, so happy to, to know you and meet you. Any parting words um, before we um, kind of land this plane? Oh, thank you so much. Um, I feel like we can go on for hours. So yes, let's, let's <laughs> thank you. It's such a pleasure to, to be on the podcast. I think, you know, the final words are hopefully any part or all of this conversation resonates with the listeners and in a positive and warm way. I think mentorship at this point in our lives, you know, you, you just have to trust yourself. You know, when you interact with someone, or when you're looking for a mentor, if they're going to be somebody that is good or healthy for you, or maybe not. So if you don't trust them, if they seem self-serving, they don't seem to express genuine interest, they're too busy, you keep trying to reach out and you're really not getting that um, connection, then you trust your instinct. Stop losing time and move on, right? Um, and it's, it's not just one person. There's so many people out there. Um, and then as far as, you know, boundaries, I think about, well, are there any boundaries for the relationship for a mentor and mentee? Maybe just ahead of time, being clear for yourself what you're seeking in a mentoring relationship if you're the mentee and, and talking out loud about the depth and the extent of that relationship, right? 
So maybe some really want to focus on professional stuff. They don't really want to hear about your marital challenges and your infertility, right? And then not that this has ever happened to me before. I can think of, especially, you know, same gender or different gender. Sometimes in that relationship, if it gets too intimate, you share a lot. So instead of addressing it with your spouses or something, I can see there may be some inappropriate transference or intimacy you know, on the psychological level, right? So again, I I don't speak to this from experience, but come on, we've all seen it, right? We've seen sometimes the breach of professionalism and propriety from trainees to faculty. I mean, because humans are messy. (laughs) (laughs) Humans are messy. So So, true, true. A quick question for your listeners. If they're on the podcast, do you share links to articles or do or do they have the opportunity to share comments or questions that we yeah, later yeah. address? Yeah. So there are um, there will be an article based on this podcast. Um, I was going to do put in the link to the ENT Today journal article and any other um, I was going to put your two books on there as well as any other any other articles that you would want to send. Um, and then for our listeners, sometimes we'll, um, they sometimes reach out to us on Twitter at underscore Backtable ENT. Sometimes directly we'll get questions or comments. Okay. And so if there's anything that comes back directly specific, we can, you know, follow up with you, Julie, as well as are there, is there a way for our listeners to directly reach out to you if, oh, if they absolutely. wanted to directly reach out to you? Yeah, yeah. Um, my email is julie.way at ucf.edu. And I hope that the listeners will take some time after listening to this podcast to actually take inventory of the mentoring relationships in their lives right now. And uh, just, you know, acknowledge and express gratitude for it and feed it. Awesome advice. Yeah. Thank you so much, Julie. Thank you so much, Ash. To all our listeners, thank you for stopping by. Um, Reach out to us for feedback, for topics, ideas, or if you ever want to come on the show. What else am I missing, Ash? Subscribe, rate, and share. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at underscore Backtable ENT. All right. Thanks for stopping by. Thanks. That's a wrap. (laughs) Thanks a lot. Thank you so much for listening. If you haven't already, make sure to subscribe, rate the podcast five stars, and share with a friend. If you have any questions or comments, direct message us at underscore Backtable ENT on Instagram, LinkedIn, or Twitter. Backtable ENT is hosted by Gopi Shaw and Ashley Agan. Our audio team lead is Karen Yen with support from Caleb Hodson and Ness Smith-Savadoff. Design and digital marketing led by Brian Schmitz with support from Taylor's version Hess. Social media and PR by Chi Ding. Thanks again for listening and see you next week.